Gracious Father, we come tonight again to, to open up this book we call First Kings, and we acknowledge the, the story turns, Lord, but the, what's going on doesn't seem to change. And help us understand uh, what you're trying to teach us. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, they, yeah, they seem to not get it. And help us understand what it means to understand your statutes, your commandments, what it means to be in relationship with you and to trust you enough to obey you. And as we read about these characters, Lord, bring, bring it, the truth to it to us and help, it apply us, help us apply it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, that which we've known has been coming for a long time, the splitting of the kingdom into to Jerusalem, or Jerusalem, into uh, Israel and Judah is going to happen. And we've heard it foretold. We saw it in 11 when God appears to Jeroboam and tells him what's going to happen. And that's exactly what plays out. Yet we can see the human motivation, how what we talked about in the very beginning, how what made sense from a temporal human perspective is what drives people to do things that God has already ordained. And it's that mix of those two together. And I just, I know, I know it, these two individuals' names are so close together. And so I put together a little thing to put in front of you, just so you remember that Rehoboam is Solomon's son, and he's going to be king of Judah and Benjamin, or at least half of Benjamin. And Jeroboam is going to be a king over Israel or the ten northern tribes. So just to keep that in front of you to remember, okay? So let's start with chapter 12, verse 1. First Kings 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him, and he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. 
And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Okay, so Solomon's dead, and the assumption is that his son is going to ascend to the throne. I put, a, I put this up just real quick. Somebody asked last week, I can't keep all the 12 tribes uh, straight, and it's often referred in here. These are the 12 tribes, and these are the lands. I just want you to look at the names really quick. We're not going to memorize them or anything, but when you see it and you go, who is that? That's one of the tribes. Also, if you look real quick at this area, I know it's hard to see from the back. This is going to line up a little bit with what we're going to look at in just a second. So, okay. This is the map that you have in front of you, okay? And you can see why I handed it out because it's hard to see. This is Israel. This is Judah. This is Shechem right in the middle, okay? So, it's often seen that, that Rehoboam goes into Israel to be uh, enthroned to meet with the people. But really what he's doing, he's going to the middle of the land. We only see him going into Israel when we think of it split, okay? So it isn't split yet. I mean, it's going to be, obviously, but it isn't split yet when he goes up there to, to meet with them, to, to be literally be enthroned and being thrown basically by all of Israel. At this point, when it says all of Israel, it means including Judah, okay? So this is king coming. We're going to make him king. All of his, his people, I mean, not obviously all of them, but all the representatives of the people are there to, to literally uh, be a part of his coronation. Jeroboam comes back from Egypt where he had fled uh, from Solomon he comes back hearing Solomon's dead. He does not, even though he knows God has predicted he's going to be king over Israel, he doesn't seize the throne. He doesn't go after it. He just comes back. And, and in this process, um, the people are looking for a little relief, okay? And uh, I've got something here. This is really hard to see. But what this is is the 12 districts that Solomon set up, okay? There are 12 in this whole area. Judah is not one of the districts, okay? So the taxation and all the, you know, the, the laborers that are conscripted into uh, building all he built and all the money he got, remember, heavy taxation. I mean, he didn't get rich uh, on his own, he got rich by the taxing the, the countryside. That was born by all this area here, all these tribes, and here's Judah, okay? So Judah was not truly one of those districts. So Judah got off really easy. So naturally, what? The northern tribes, as we call them, 
are not happy. They're saying, wait a minute, we've borne most of the burden, both financially and service-wise. What's crazy is they don't ask for tax relief. They ask relief from sending people to be conscripted, conscripted in there. So he said, so if we look at verse 4, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service. In Hebrew, that's referring to what we have to do in serving, literally serving. And we will serve you, okay? So lighten what we have to give in the way of people, and we will be loyal and serve you. So lighten our service, and we'll serve you. A little play on words, at least in the Hebrew, okay? So we get that. So he goes, what? Give me three days. I'm going to go get some advice. And we see this not infrequent where kings seek counsel, it's called. So he goes to the, to the elders, the, the seasoned, the, you know, the, the white hair, experienced, wise individuals, as I like to look at it. Um, you guys didn't think that was funny, huh? Okay, no. So he goes to them and they say, what? Okay, yeah, yeah, listen to them because then they'll be loyal to you and this will all work out. And it's funny how he approaches them. He says to them, how do you advise me to answer this people? Sounds normal, right? But then he goes to this younger crowd, a crowd that are contemporaries with him. But what does he say to them? He says, what do you advise that we answer them? Here he is to the elders, the older ones, saying, what do you want me? What are you telling me I, you think I should do? And to the other ones, he's already brought them into the process, saying, what should we say back? And the elders tell him what they think he should say. The, the younger tell him what he has to say. It's just a total different approach by the two that he's, he's seeking counsel from. And as we, as we well know, or as the, the heading, by that is not part of the, the Bible, obviously, the heading there, Rehoboam's folly. He takes the advice of the younger. And not only that, he could have gone back to him and said, well, you know, I, I need to increase your tax. I need, you know, but he doesn't. He does this overstatement of his masculinity and, and just kind of beats down on them and says, I'm going to make it even harder. In fact, it's not that I'm going to make it harder. I'm going to intentionally, with great pleasure, make it harder on you just to show you how great I am. Didn't work out so great. What a shock. And so what's interesting is he's doing this because it makes sense to him. It's what his peer group is advising him, okay? Yet as, as we sit back with the narrator, we know what? What he says at the end there. It was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke to Hijah, uh, to Jeroboam. So, so basically, the humans are doing what makes sense to the humans, and yet it's working to fulfill God's plan. We've talked about this from the very beginning, this, these two things working together. People are doing what they think they should do, but it's working to fulfill God's plan, that God works within this kind of, well, you're going to do what you think is right, but it's really fulfilling my plan. So we've gone that, and, and at that point, um, yeah, that's pretty much the end of the, the unified kingdom as we know it. Let's go on to verse 16. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? 
we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor. And all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent him and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemei, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. We see in here when they split apart that uh, what was really holding them together. And we're going to see this in the next section again. There are just a few things that were holding these, these 12 tribes together. And there had already, already been created this division, as we talked about before, by Solomon treating Judah, his tribe, differently than all the other tribes. That caused a natural division that probably wouldn't have existed. And because of that, the identification with Solomon is to David, is to Judah. And so they say, we have nothing to do with David. David's not of our tribe. What do we care? We're out of here. And so that's exactly what they do. Then Rehoboam does what, I mean, let's be honest. Rehoboam comes off as, as pretty stupid. I don't know what other term to use. He sends the guy that's the head of forced labor to, to go and tell them, no, you can't do this. And what have they asked? They've asked to be lighting the load of forced labor. You just sent the number one symbol of that which they're asking and that which you've refused in there. Well, naturally, it doesn't go well. And they stone him to death. And at that time, Rehoboam finally understands this is no longer my kingdom, and he flees and goes back. But when he gets back to, to Jerusalem, he's going, okay, no, I can, I can make this happen. You know, it, doesn't remind, it just reminds me of, of the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea after they refused to go in, and then after God says, okay, fine, you're going to just be in the desert, then they decide they want to go in after the fact. Jeroboam, who does not make a wise decision, though it turns out to be in line with God's, decides he's going to mass and go up there and fight for the kingdom. What would have happened? It would have been this massive bloodbath. I mean, already Judah and Israel, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, are significantly weakened by being divided. If they'd gone after and, you know, killed half of the fighting men on both sides, they wouldn't have lasted you know, a couple of years before they would have been overtaken by somebody else. So God steps in and, and stops them. 
Now, Israel needs a leader, right? They've just rebelled. They've just left. And they're looking for a leader. Well, why not Jeroboam? So they grab Jeroboam and make him king, which is interesting because Jeroboam, even though he knows the prophecy, does not seek the kingdom. And that's a bit of what we've seen. David did not seek the kingdom. He, He was right in front of him. He could have killed Saul many times. He didn't. Solomon does not personally seek the kingdom. It's, it's sought for him by his mother and by Nathan. Um, and here we are where Jeroboam does not seek the kingdom. That it comes to him. That's not always going to be the case in future kings. So he does that. And then when God tells him not to, he spares him and basically says, live this way. This is the way it's going to be. There's going to be a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom, and more or less, deal with it and learn how to figure it out. Okay, let's go on. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem... Then the heart of this people will turn again to their lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, but the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Jeroboam's got a problem in his mind. Religion's important, right? These are the chosen people of God. But the only authorized place to worship in all of Israel, and that means the totality of Israel, which is Judah and Israel, happens to be right across the border into Judah. So if his people are going to worship, they need to go to Jerusalem, go into Judah to worship. Now, he thinks if they do that, they're going to be reminded of their brothers. They're going to be reminded of the unifying nature of religion. And they're going to turn back and want to go back and be united. And they're going to turn back to Rehoboam. So he decides, I got to figure a solution. Well, think about this. If God ordained what has just happened, because up till verse 24 there, This is God's plan being played out in this chapter. If God ordained this to happen, don't you think God, did he go, oh, I forgot about that Jerusalem thing I commanded back in Deuteronomy. 
oh, I don't know what's going to happen now. My plan's going to fall apart because all those Israelites are going to go to Judah and it's not going to work out. No, I think he had it covered. Really, if Jeroboam would have just stopped for a second and quit trying to control things, he could have gone, yeah, God must have thought about this. I guess it's okay. I guess they go to Jerusalem to worship. He doesn't. So he essentially sets up a separate religion. This is the, um, this is the map you have, okay? Oh, somehow that little, oh well. So here's the border, okay? There's Jerusalem. Do you see it? Right in the northern part of, the, part of Judah. Right across the border is Bethel. Right across the border, okay? So we're talking very short distance before he sets up one of his worship sites and from Jerusalem. So that's the southern part of his kingdom. And then up here is Dan. So basically he puts a southern place of worship and a northern place of worship, okay? Eventually right here in Mount Gerizim is a temple's gonna get built because they realize, oh, we're supposed to have centralized worship and we got two worship sites at Bethel, Bethel, house of God, and, and Dan, because that geographically worked, but I got to find a central one. So basically, Mount Gerizim becomes a temple. What's interesting is this religion that he, he creates, which becomes Yahwehism too, because they do worship Yahweh, they just don't do it correctly, okay? Carries over and is essentially the same religion that the Samaritans are using in the time of Jesus. So 900 years later, whole different peoples, okay? I mean, the Israelites are taken out in 722 and resettled and they become the Samaritans and the Samaritans keep the same religion and everything all the way up to the time of Jesus. So he creates this, creates different places to worship, he creates different, they don't have an ark, so he makes cows. I don't know why. What's so special about a cow? But that's what he makes. He makes these, these golden calves, makes you think of what? Right, Aaron in the desert, and these symbols of God somehow, in their mind that was symbol of God. So we don't have an ark, so we're going to create a couple of these, put one on each side of worship. I'm going to make, I don't have any, Priests, I don't have any Levites. They're probably all down at the temple. So I'm going to just start making priests, even though God is clear, all priests have to come from the tribe of Levi. He starts making priests out of people that aren't. He starts literally, as I said, making his own religion. He makes a feast that mirrors the feast that's observed down in, in Jerusalem, and it's observed in the northern. So, so he makes his version to try to what? Control the people. He was so close. I mean, verse 24, he's got it. He's got it. 25, he starts going wrong. All because what? He didn't believe. He didn't trust. And then he didn't obey. And as he does this, this just starts this snowball that will eventually doom Israel for the rest of its existence. Let's go to chapter 13. 1 Kings 13, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings, 
And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord. And the king's hand was restored to him, and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. This is, this is, we've seen prophets, right? We've been seeing prophets. We saw prophets all the way back, uh, you know, back in Saul's time, if you remember, in that study. But prophets are really going to intensify now. And prophets are going to be, really have one purpose. They're going to go and tell either Judah or Israel to repent and turn back. Repent, turn back. Repent, turn back. Repent, turn back. And here's the first one really, of the new nation of Israel. And, and he comes out of Judah, which, okay, maybe you're a little suspect if you're, you're Jeroboam. He comes out of, but he's a man of God, and he comes, and he prophesies at the altar, against the altar, and essentially then against the new religion and against Jeroboam, okay? And he's saying all these things, and he, and he brings up Josiah, who's 300 years later, okay? If Jeroboam is kind of the, standard bearer, and as we're going to see over and over, the standard bearer of what's bad and evil in the nation, in the nation of Israel. In fact, kings are compared to, he's as bad, he's as bad, oh, he's even worse, yeah, he's not as bad, you know, he becomes the standard of what's bad, okay? And um, he, he, he sees this man coming, he's going to basically, I think, have him killed. He reaches out his hand, and his hand something happens to his hand. Whether He can't bring it back, he no longer can use his hand. Okay? And so he freaks out, and he appeals to the, to the man of God, who he's about ready to kill. I always love this. I'm going to kill you, but wait, I need you, so would you fix my hand? In fact, I'm totally rebelling against God, and you're telling me I'm rebelling against God, but would you ask God to fix my hand? You know? That's right. And, he, and his hand is fixed, and so he's going to play nice. And we're thinking in this moment right now, wow, he finally gets it. Okay, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. 
Now he has this incident where the prophet uh, goes against the, the altar and all these things happen. The altar, the altar breaks and, and all this happens. His hand, okay, he finally gets it because he asks the guy to come home with him and it's all going to be good. Except we got to read on. Sometimes would you like to just stop and not read on? But we have to. So let's go on. Verse 11. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, Settle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he settled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him and his body was thrown in the road. And the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord, Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body, or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God, and laid it on the donkey, and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria, shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face 
of the earth. First. All right. I think this, I don't know. I always find this story so sad. And um, we have two individuals, and we're going to call them the, the prophet. That's the person from Israel, okay? And, and the, uh, the uh, man of God from Judah, okay? So the man of God has been sent up by God to prophesy against the altar and against Jeroboam, okay? And he knows he is not supposed to eat and drink in Israel, and he's supposed to go back by a different way, okay? He is from Judah. He is going into, in his mind, enemy territory. He's supposed to do what he's supposed to do and get out of there, right? And he tells Jeroboam, he tells the king, the most powerful figure up there, that no, I can't go back with you. I have to get out of here, okay? But then this prophet comes and, and lies to him. Again, if, if this was a movie, isn't this where inside you'd be screaming, don't listen to him. Don't do it. This is going to go bad. You know you're not supposed to do this. He's lying to you. But he listens to him. Because what? He says, I'm a prophet also, and I have a word from an angel from God. Sounds good. But the, the old man has heard directly from God. He's a man of God and he's heard from God. Don't do this. And then another person comes and says, I have a separate word, a word that's obviously not come directly from God, but through an angel to me. Right away, you're going, wait a minute. Why would God contradict himself? God spoke directly to me. Why would I listen to somebody that has secondhand in a Perry Mason hearsay evidence, right, Amy? Hearsay evidence shouldn't even be admissible. Why would I listen? And he does. And it costs him his life, and not just his life. We have to understand the ancient Near Eastern world, one of the worst things that can happen to you is to die and not have your body properly taken care of, properly buried properly mourned. So he's killed, he's just on the side of the road. And he's not only on the side of the road, but there's a lion essentially protecting him. The lion should have moved on, the lion should have maimed him, the lion should have done a lot of things, but by the lion doing nothing, we know that lion is from God, saying, no, this man is not going to be honored, he's not going to be put in the grave of his father's. And for, for a, a Jew, essentially what will become a Jew, a citizen of Judah, he's going to end up in a grave in where? Israel. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. But at least he's in a grave. Which you sense that the, the northern prophet has remorse. He realizes what's happened and tries to atone as best he can by putting him in his own grave. Now, we can spend our whole life trying to figure out why did he do it? Why did the prophet, the Israelite, lie to him? We're given nothing, and when you're giving nothing in a situation like this, clearly, we're not supposed to know. And, and why, why did the old man, why did he, why did the man of God listen to him? 
Now, we, we can't miss that we're seeing two people compared. Okay? We're seeing the man of God compared to Jeroboam. Okay? And, and we might think that Jeroboam got a better outcome than the man of God. Because the man of God dies, and Jeroboam reigns for many, many years. Okay? But that's not really what happens. That's in our temporal way of seeing things. The man of God dies. His family's fine. He eventually is buried. Jeroboam lives, but his entire family and his eternal, I mean, his entire uh, existence going forward, all of his family and everything are going to cease to exist, are going to be wiped out. And they're not only going to be wiped out, they're going to be wiped out, disgraced. And not only are they going to be disgraced, they can't even be buried because their bodies are going to be consumed by either, as we're going to see, dogs or, or birds. So we're going through 13 and we say, why did this happen to this guy? Why did he do this? Why did he disobey God? Because disobedience is disobedience. But wait a minute. He did what was right on the altar. He did what was right at Jeroboam. He makes one little mistake. Disobedience is disobedience. Let's be clear what 1 Kings is teaching us, what God's teaching us through 1 Kings. And then right at the end, we come to Jeroboam. and said he did not turn from his evil ways. He continues to do what is evil, even though he's seen all of this. So clearly he doesn't get it. So God's going to do one more thing. One more thing to get Jeroboam's attention. And notice how he's ratcheting things up. One more thing to try to get him to repent and turn. And it all starts chapter 14. Let's go there. 1 Kings 14. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go, tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been like my servant David who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free, in Israel. 
and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. For the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates, because they have made their ashram provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. And as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was twenty-two years. And he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. God just upped the, the intensity. I love the way the son is, is Abijah and the prophet's Ahijah. One letter difference in the name. Let's just tie it together. Let's, let's make sure we understand what's going on here. And I find it fascinating that, that Jeroboam sends his wife to Ahijah thinking because he's blind, he's not going to be able to tell it's her, yet he wants from him a special word from God. So he thinks God talks to him but that God's not going to tell him who's standing in front of him. I mean, really. I mean, we never do that, right? We never inquire of God thinking that we can get something by. God doesn't see this over here. And I'm just going to go, God, could you help me out over here? And he sends a, a token. Uh, a, might be a, a, a low class, not a low class, but in the class structure, gifts. Because you send gifts. But he sends gifts not in keeping with being a king. All part of this ruse of that she's just a common person, not the wife of the king. And so he creates all this and, and sends her there. And she's going to sneak up and, and inquire. Except God is so far ahead of him. And basically, she comes and, and she's acting as a messenger. It isn't even a about her. I know it's her child, okay? And we're just trying to stay within the story. I'm not trying to minimize. But the way the language is written there, she is just the messenger. She doesn't actually really speak, okay? And he sends her and says, tell Jeroboam this. Not you guys. You go. T-. So this is clearly, clearly happening for one reason and that is because of his disobedience and to get his attention and get him to repent and come back. I mean, you just have to want to be rebellious, to go through what he goes through 
and, and to not turn. But there's got to be a reason, right? There's got to be a reason. Does he, does he just not believe it's from God? Maybe these so-called prophets really don't know what they're talking about, even though he sought them. Maybe these things really aren't connected. Maybe God really isn't punishing me. Maybe even I turn and repent, these things are still going to happen. Maybe it's too late for me. All these things could be going through his head. But why? Why? With all these warnings. And it's going to be a theme as we go forward. Why does the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah basically over and over refuse to repent when God is sending people saying, this is happening to you because of your sin. Repent and turn back and I'll relent and I'll bring you back. I know we never experience that. I know that never happens, right? I mean, I'll, I, I, people come and they're clearly living in sin. And I don't mean like, you know, occasionally. I mean, they're in rebellion. They're obviously living something that is not pleasing to God. And they'll come and say, such and such is happening, you know. Why is it happening? So I don't know why it's happening, but, you know, is there any sin in your life that maybe you should repent and turn from? Like what? Well, maybe like this thing right here. And yet they won't repent and turn. Why? You know, God, John has, I mean, it's a, it's a joke, but there's no joking to it. It's just John's way of, you know, you know me. I'd say, oh, what is, you know, and he's more, you know, subtle in how he says it. Is there any sin you haven't repented for? And we think what? Is there any sin I haven't asked God for forgiveness, right? But that's not what that means. Is there any sin in our lives that we need to turn from that sin? It's not asking God to say, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. No, it's actually turning from that sin. And John will say, when I started here, I, I, I laughed. You know, something happens, he goes, well, do you think there's any unrepentant sin we need to deal with? You know? I don't know, John, is there? In over 12 years, you know, it stays kind of that humorous level, but really, yeah. I mean, when his wife, who's, again, not named, okay, gets home, child dies. Okay, Jeroboam might not have taken it well, but might she have said, gee, is there anything we should repent about? Honey? Again, Jeroboam is seeing these things. And first, he's still reigning. So there's a good chance in his mind he's going, well, I'm getting away with it. I'm okay. I mean, I'm still king. I got a bigger kingdom than, than Rehoboam does down in Judah. I got more land. I got more people. I don't quite have as much wealth because Solomon brought so much down there. But I'm doing okay. Oh, sure, all these prophecies are against me and all oh, that weird thing with the altar and everything else, but I'm good. Then his son dies. 
And he could say, oh, I know this has nothing to do with me. Really? Okay, she went to that old prophet, and I should never have sent her because that guy's just old, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And my son died because he got ill, and something else is going on, and there's a bunch of people dying, and that's the way it is, so it can't be about me. So what does it take? I mean, I've said to people, how much more can you take from God beating on you? How much more? We have an incredible ability to, get, to, to take pain and suffering from God and not relent and turn. You know, my finger, right? Okay, some of you know what happened to my finger. It's shorter. Um, but I'm using, I'm using a knife, you know, and there's a locking blade knife and a non-locking blade knife, and I use the non-locking blade because I want the punch, and then in the middle of it, I decided to use the blade. And right as I'm about ready to use the blade, I'm going, this is a really stupid idea. Go get the locking blade knife because this thing could fold on you, and you're not going to like that. Do I listen to that word from God? I don't know if it's from God, but it sure could have been. Do I listen to that? Because it makes all the sense in the world if I would have. But no. Why? Why don't I listen? Boom, chink, I got a shorter finger. All for 15 feet away, getting a locking blade knife. Why? Why don't we listen? All right, let's go in our discussion groups.